Hey guys, and welcome to episode 20 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Here we go. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. So guys, welcome to episode 20 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Um, just want to say a big, um, we had a big response to last week's episode with Warren Williams. I mean, a lot of people really loved that episode and we covered a lot. So thanks for the message to come in and thanks for the views that you've left on iTunes. And if you haven't left one, then it would um, really help us out because it just helps spread the message really and helps people understand what they need to do to get themselves healthy. Also, those of you that jo- have joined our um, free four-day Total Gut Revival mini course, well done. And for those of you that haven't yet and have been dealing with gut issues or skin issues or thyroid issues, any sort of chronic issue, whatever you've been dealing with, if you want uh, in on that, then um, we've actually got something running on Facebook, like a Facebook advert. But if you haven't seen that, then give me a shout at ryan at reviveyourself.co and I'll give you access to that. And we can move you forward with it. Um, I actually got an article on the website, on our website, uh, www.reviveyourself.co as well. So, you can head on to that, um, type in free um, free four-day mini course and you should get every link you need. And from there, just, uh, just everything sent to your inbox. It's very easy. So on to today's episode. Today's episode is with Oliver Barnett and he is the founder of the, the London Clinic of Nutrition. Um, and it's all about Lyme's disease and we also touch on mold as well. Uh, Lyme disease has been... The last five years, it has just gone viral, as in it's it's everywhere. Um, and as I put in in the script, um, the WHO, the World Health Organization, has said uh, over the last 20 years, every year it has uh, been identified as rising by 65% each year, um, which means more and more people are getting diagnosed. And it's something that it mimics a lot of other diseases. It's very, very crafty, as we'll find out in the episode. Um, so any, any of you that have... have got Lyme-like symptoms or think you might have Lyme, this episode is just for you. So without further ado, here he is, here's Oliver, Um, enjoy the episode and I'll see you on the other side. Hey guys and welcome to episode 20 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Today's guest is Oliver Bennett from the London Clinic of Nutrition. Um, How are you today Oliver? Yeah, good, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, I'm very well. The sun's out again, which is always good. Uh, I had a nice... Uh, well, it's actually the last time I had a podcast, the sun was out, so it bodes well. Um, so, Oliver um, has been a nutritional therapist for quite a while, um, and what we're going to be talking about today is a topic that's been getting more and more prominent in the world of nutrition and health, um, and that is Lyme disease. So... Oliver, though, just quickly, I just want to just get a little bit of background for for the listeners out there. How did you get into nutrition and become a nutritional therapist? Um, well, I mean, originally, I I think I picked the first book I picked up was probably Patrick Holford's Optimum Nutrition Bible many years ago, and then um, my wife said to me, I was I found it quite interesting, so why don't you go and do a course? And then 
so you know, then, then when did a course in nutrition, then my naturopathy and herbal medicine, iridology, Ayurvedic medicine, uh, then started the process of certification through the Institute of Functional Medicine. And it's been sort of a, about a 15-year journey, really, um, and now running um, um, one of the largest integrated um, clinics in the UK. And your your clinic's based in. We've got two clinics, haven't you? One's based in St Albans or Hertfordshire area, and the other one's up in central London, just off of uh, Harley Street. That's right. Yeah. So, on your website, it says um, if, if you guys want to look into into Oliver, the website is uh, LondonClinicalNutrition.co.uk, and on it it says you you are the leading Lyme disease treatment clinic based in London. So that's where I wanted to start today, and that's the topic I want to discuss. So just for everyone out there, what is Lyme disease, and how does it affect a person? Well, Lyme disease is, you know, traditionally is meant to be caused by a tick bite, but it can actually be caused by um, com- contact from sandflies and mosquitoes as well, even spider bites. Um, and can actually be, you know, there's, there's some mounting evidence that it, that it is, that it is um, uh, introduced via... Um, sexual contact and can be passed by from mother to baby through the placenta. So um, I think I still take the naturopathic approach, which is, you know, it's the terrain that's that's important rather than the bugs. Um, so I think a lot of us have come into contact with Lyme disease as a bacteria. So the actual bacteria that causes Lyme is called Borrelia burgdorferi. And I think a lot of us have come into contact with this bacteria a bit like most sort of parasites or viruses or other types of pathogens and it's only when the immune system has uh, quite a large challenge that these things tend to proliferate I think that's that's one way people can can get Lyme and I think I think other ways obviously is the traditional way which is via a tick bite but not everyone who gets bitten by a tick will get Lyme because only about 25% of ticks carry carry Lyme disease and again some people have got very robust immune systems so some people won't be bothered when they actually get bitten by ticks, even ones that do carry Lyme. Um, so, yeah, that's it in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, no, because in... Um, I was going to say, how do people get infected? In, in 1993, I mean, um, it was described by Oxford scientists as a, as a danger to the public and the leading Lyme disease specialist to describe the illness as the AIDS of our time. I mean, would you agree with their statements there? Um... It's the biggest infectious disease in the world now. Um, whether I call it the AIDS of our time, or some people refer to the cancer of our time, I, I'm not. I'm not so sure. Um, I think that again, another problem with Lyme, I think, is a lot of people are misdiagnosed with Lyme and have actually got mold illness, which is another obviously another topic. And the symptoms of mold illness and Lyme disease overlap a lot. Um, but it is, a, you know, it, it is a problem. But I think, but I still think the problem still goes back to like any condition that if people lived the right way uh, with their with their lifestyles, then they wouldn't find these things so much of a problem. Because I think it, a lot of the time with patients, you know, they'll get bitten by a tick, say, 20 years ago. It doesn't pose too much of a problem for them. They then go through years and perhaps not living uh, according to the laws of nature. And then at some point, there's normally a big stressful trigger, like say. I don't know, their pet dies or they lose a relative or they have a very se- a long series of stresses at work, um, doing long hours and things like that. And then that then has a knock-on effect. And then that has a knock-on effect on the um, immune system, which then becomes dysregulated and then the body can't deal with these pathogens that it was happily dealing with before. Um, and then it can't. So I think that's I think that's how a lot of the time it, it, it gets on top of people. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that, Joe. So, I was going to say, in the last five years, Lyme has really sort of picked up in terms of exposure and people getting diagnosed. Um, and in the, I'd say, that the, the WHO, the Health World, the World Health Organization, uh, identified Lyme's cases in Europe um, and said they've gone up 65% every year for the last 20 years. I was going to say, why do you think this is? Is it because of poor diet, stress, like a low immune system, a lack of vitamin D, etc.? I mean, if people are living that way, are they going to be more robust to something like a, um, this this disease? Yeah, I think that I think it's um, you know, it's a good question. I think it, again, I think I think you sort of you cover a lot of it. In the, the question, you sort of answered the question to a certain degree. I mean, you know, there was different periods, different eras in our time. There's been different bugs. You know, there was a period of obviously of syphilis back in the day, and syphilis is a spirochete. Lyme is a spirochete um, in in nature as well, and I think that. Because we're exposed to so many more toxins now than we were even 50 years ago, the body just can't deal with that load of toxins. It's got so many different things to deal with it. It really wasn't designed to deal with everything from glyphosate in your food and, and you know different toxins in the environment. Um, these things like like Borrelia, which the body might have been able to handle quite happily previously, isn't able to do so now. And, and these species have evolved, you know. But, you know, things like Borrelia have been on this earth far longer than we have. There's evidence to show that it was here a million years ago. So it, it's a pretty clever organism. You know, it changes forms in the body from, into three different forms and then forms biofilms. Now, for your listeners, obviously, a biofilm is, if you imagine, a bit like a force field in Star Trek. <laughs> you know, they're able to fill these, fill the, form these like films around them. So that when you try and zap them, say, with, I don't know, antibiotics or herbal or herbal antibiotics they can go inside these sort of force fields and then and then you know gives them protection for you to try and actually um to try and get get at them um they're also this bacteria is known as a pleomorph so a pleomorph is something that, as in, that can change shape so it changes shapes from a cell wall form to a cyst form so again it's it, it's it's become quite tricky for, for a lot of people to um to treat this organism um and, and another problem is, is when you get bitten by these these bugs, um, you don't just normally just get Lyme or, or Borrelia. You get a, a, a collection of critters and bugs at the same time. So often things like Babesia, which is a parasite, or Bartonella, which is a bacteria, or Mycoplasma, which is a bacteria. So you often get a, a collection of co-infections with the actual um, Borrelia as well. Yeah. Um, as you said, these, these organisms are very, very clever. Um, I think I was even reading an article, it might have been by Klinghard, uh, talking about how they can even hide their tail, um, so it can actually the immune system can't see it. They're very, very clever. Um, and they've been around millions of years, as you said, long, long, longer than us. So they are very tricky. They, they've learned how to. They've learned how to survive, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's and that's what that's what goes on. So in terms of in that way the healthier you are this is one of the things that I've um, uh, well my research and you've probably done the same um, we emit a sort of how can I say it imagine if we emit, emitted a, a, an energy force field and nothing it's safe if also was infrared for example these bugs or parasites can can sense these things in terms of heat um, and, and, they, and they can see people with lowered uh, immune systems, if for want of a better word, and they find these are the people that generally, as you say, that they're run down, they're stressed, etc. My girlfriend got it when she was well um, diagnosed with it a few years ago when she was extremely stressed, really run down, really ill, and it's it sort of um, it came to the fore. 
these these parasites, these bugs, um, would you say that that's right? When, when, when your immune system is down, when you're low, they can actually sense that people who are like that and they'll take advantage of them? I don't know if they can sense it. I, I, I don't know. All I know is that, you know, it's not just like, it's not just Borrelia. I think, I think it's, it's anything, you know, when you're run down, you will pick up bugs easily. It's like, you know, when people are run down, they'll pick up colds and all the rest of it. I just think when the immune system, because obviously your immune system is operating um, at a level of immune tolerance. So, you know, if you've got mercury fillings in your mouth, let's say, it may not be caught, they may not be causing you a problem, but when you've got uh, a high stress load and you've had a lot of, you had a loss of immune tolerance, the mercury that's in those amalgam fillings, you know, those toxins are going to be a problem for you. So it's in the same way that any toxin or bug can become a problem when your actual immune system isn't working as well as it should be. Yeah, 100%. You actually touched you touched on it a little bit when you on the first question. It was something I wanted to get to, which was um, how, how does one get infected? I mean, you, you mentioned this. Uh, it can be passed by mother to baby down the placenta. Um, but as we said before, more, more research is showing it can be passed by sex. So... Uh, a new study suggests um, that the bacteria um, maybe it can change its um, illness sexual and sexually transmitted between partners. I think it was a 2014 issue of the Journal uh, of, it, of Investigative Medicine. Uh, the study revealed Lyme disease almost twice as common um, as breast cancer now as well, and six times more than the HIV and AIDS virus. Um, so, what have you have you noticed that in your studies that it been passed through sexual intercourse from from one partner to, to the next? Yeah, I think it's the evidence, as I say, because no one's funding these studies, there's not many studies on that, obviously, in terms of sexual contact. But have you found uh, it? Have you found it in, for example, the, the clients you've been dealing with? Have you noticed it at all being passed to their partners? Or um, yeah, and again, I, I still think it boils back to the terrain, though, because I think there's a lot of sort of scaremongering and people are saying, well, don't have sex, unprotected sex with your partner, or don't, I'm not going to breastfeed, breast, breastfeed my children because oh, you know, I might pass it through the breast milk, which, you know, is possible. But the, the pros of breastfeeding far outweigh the cons. And, in, you know, in terms of sexual contact, I mean, I'm, I, which, as a practice, we're treating whole families for Lyme. So, you know, we're treating, in some in one case, three generations. So I, I do, obviously, it can be passed down. I mean, a, a, a case in point, obviously, is the, is, is the Caldwell family, who, you know, the, the phones for you, billionaire. Um, his whole family have got, have got Lyme. Um, and he set up the you know the Cordwell Trust or whatever it is to try and improve research into the field. So it definitely can happen, but I, I do think there, there can be a bit, a bit, a bit quite a bit of scaremongering in in relation to sexual contact. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, in terms of the way we're treating it, it's, it tends to be more sort of mothers and children, yeah, and, and in some cases the husbands as well. <coughs> but I, I'd have to sort of look at the reasons why it could be separate tick bites rather than specifically sexual contact. But again, I, I, it still boils back to the, you know, the, the, the health of the host in the first place, whether just whether the person would actually then get Lyme just because of sexual contact. Yeah, I mean, I think it was Louis Pasteur, wasn't it? He always said the germ, the germ, the germ. And on his deathbed, he actually said, I've got something to tell you, that the germ is nothing, the terrain is everything. And if the terrain's strong, then the, the, the germ can't live, for example. Um, yeah. But... But through um, different research, I've shown that with parasites, for example, generally, if you're living with someone who's got a parasite, unless you are, say, strong yourself, they're, they're going to pass that on. Uh, and also, people living with pets. Now, have you found pets being a problem for people passing these things? Um, well, again, a lot of research shows that living having pets improves your immune system. Um, obviously, you know, you can get ticks that can go on, obviously, on dogs, and then that that tick could then 
you know, you could then get, if, if, if you're in an area where it's getting a lot on your dogs and they can get on you, but, um, but I mean, some people have, can pick up lime, obviously picking ticks off their dogs or picking ticks off their horses. We've got quite a lot of patients who, you know, live in quite horsey sort of areas and, you know, picking a lot of ticks off their, off their horses and they're not getting bitten themselves. Yeah. And this is the thing, sort of people are now not wanting to go running through the forest or walking through the forest. I mean, do you think that that's something people should actually be concerned about or is it once again just all down if you're healthy enough you'll be absolutely fine um yeah i mean I, again I, I'm, I'm very keen not to be doing any form, form of scaremongering i think you know for example you know we had a patient it's, it's the lyman ticks are rife in east, in east europe and we had a patient who grew up picking ticks off herself almost every day when she was a kid and then you know she never had lyme but then she was but then about um, many, many years later, um, she was a patient of ours and she was going on a trip to Poland on a bus and she got bitten by a tick. But on this particular occasion, when she got bitten by the tick, she did get acute Lyme and we had to treat her for acute Lyme and we got her better. So you could say one of two things. Well, was it was it that every tick bite she ever had as a kid, the ticks weren't carrying Lyme and the one when she got bitten on the bus did? Or was it because she was at a lower, lower ebb when she got bitten by that particular tick on that occasion on that bus? My hunch is probably more the fact that she was at a lower ebb because I think she'd bitten that many t- times by tick when she was a kid. She must have picked it up at some point then. So I think just because you're bitten doesn't mean it's necessarily a problem. Um, so I don't think I'd be discouraging people from going out, you know, in the woods and things like that. Um, I think if you're, I think if you're going to a Lyme endemic area, I think you, I think some precautions wouldn't be a bad idea. You can get some really good tick tick sprays online, which are natural. Um, you can obviously, you know, wear, you know, check yourself when you go in wooded areas. Wear, make sure you wear like long, long trousers, long, long, long tops. Um, you know, if you do get a tick on you, you don't want to just pull it out. You want to, um, you want to use a tick removal tool, which you can buy online. Um, you know, and if you do feel funny, you know, if you're getting flu-like symptoms um, after a tick bite or very close to that, then you may want to get yourself some very strong andrographis, which is a Chinese herb. Or again, you may want to try. You may want to get on a month a month's worth of doxycycline antibiotics with with, with your um, with your GP as a precaution. Right. So I was actually going to men- mention that to you. I mean, I know this is this has been quite. A, you've mentioned uh, Europe there. It's been quite big in America. Um, there's, a, there's a show on. Uh, I think it's a documentary on YouTube. People can watch if they want to. Things called Under Your Skin, and it mentions that. There's a few questions I've got around that actually, but. So you, you just mentioned antibiotics there. Do you feel that like antibiotics are effective in treating Lyme disease? Well, we've got a bit of a skewed view as a practice because we only see the people it's failed with <laughs> as patients. But, I mean, we did a survey at one of the Lyme conferences last year and, you know, of, of, of patients at the conference, and not one of them said the antibiotics had worked for them. All of them said either made them worse or when they stopped taking it, they had, um, they had um, you know, what's the word, um, regressed, yeah? Um, and, you know, we had a patient in clinic, a very wealthy chap a few months ago who'd, who'd been to every Lyme clinic in the world. You know, he'd been to Breakspear in the UK, been to Horowitz in the States, uh, BCA, Gordon Medical, Gemsec. He'd been everywhere, Klinghart. And, you know, he said, look, he said, I've been everywhere. And I can tell you for this, he said, the notion that a specific type of antibiotic or a particular pulsed schedule of antibiotic is going to get rid of this critter is nonsense, he said. It's got to be diet, lifestyle, herbal medicine, 
um, and, and stress reduction practice. And it was quite nice hearing it from this chap who'd been everywhere in the world. Um, even Cordwell came out recently and said, look, the thing that's got him and his family better the most has been diet and lifestyle. Um, and I think, and also another thing that works really well is looking at past traumas and working on past traumas and emotional trauma. That, that's, a, that's a really big one I find with chronic health issues, especially Lyme. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something I uh, touch on a lot. Of. I think it's the holistic approach, really, isn't it? As you say, like it's, 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 it's we're going to talk and carry on talking about it, but it's the same with. I can't remember listening to an interview once. I can't remember who, who it was. And, she was a holistic health practitioner, I think she's also a nutritional therapist, um, and a former doctor, but she said she'd learned to discover that the way you treat anything is the way you treat everything. Uh, so it's it's like once you've, as you've mentioned here, once you start eating correct, once you start detoxifying your body, once you start um, exercising in the right way, giving your body everything it needs, changing the terrain, I mean, all the, all the things we know, holistic, uh, holistic practices, nutritional therapy, that's the way you build immunity. That's the way you keep yourself, um, say, bulletproof. But generally, the way you're going to keep yourself robust from these sort of things, you know. Um, and as you say, it seems to be whatever you're dealing with, whether it be Lyme, whether it be cancer, whether it be any any sort of problems that are systemic issues. It all boils down to the fact that you're sort of living out of accordance with nature. Um, and the same with parasites, like the Mother Nature's decomposers. Um, there, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And if you do change your terrain and do get yourself healthy, um, they have less of an impact. But the problem is, once you've got it, the, the with Lyme especially, it can be. I mean, it can be very, very difficult to detect, right? Um, um, for example, it's called. Um, if you put it on your website, it's called the Great Imitator. You know, um, with Lyme, it says uh, it can mimic other disorders such as multiple cirrhosis, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, and even Alzheimer's disease. And as you mentioned, um, the bullseye rash is only 25, it's only present in 25% of people. So, I mean, unless you are, unless you are being uh, very good with your health wise, I mean, most people won't even know they've got it. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, I have to, I'd have to, I haven't run any, crunched any numbers on the percentages of people that have come to our clinic already knowing they've got Lyme and the percentage that, you know, that we've diagnosed. But I suppose, I think when we started out treating Lyme, it was probably a lot more people we were diagnosing rather than them coming diagnosed. But now because we've built up a really good reputation for treating Lyme, it's probably about maybe 60, 40 in the favour of people that either know they've got Lyme or got a really big... Um, suspicion they have Lyme yeah um, I think you know if you use say like the Richard Horowitz Lyme questionnaire and someone's got a score of above 60 odd that's a pretty high chance they've got Lyme and you use that with a very good clinical history and then you use testing alongside that for confirmation I think then if you use that all in the round you should get a good enough picture as to whether someone has Lyme or whether they don't have Lyme um, Again, the problem, like you say, with testing, it's fraught with problems. There isn't a 100% test for Lyme. Um, and, you know, you could spend a lot of money on every Lyme test in existence <laughs> and maybe then still not be positive. And then that's why a lot of people say a clinical diagnosis is really your best your best option. We, we tend to do we do tend to test most people for Lyme, um, you know, to, to confirm a clinical diagnosis. Um and it depends, you know, what sort of test you're using. But I think some of the tests for Lyme t- are too sensitive. Certainly the lymphocyte transformation test, or known as the Ellis spot, I think is too sensitive. And I think 
if you picked 100 people in the street and tested them on that test, they'd probably be positive that Lyme wasn't causing them a problem. So you've got to be quite, um, what's the word, um, uh, discerning. You know, you've got to be quite discerning when, when working out whether you think Lyme is a problem for someone or not. So, I mean, go for it. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, you know, you can get these classic cases, you know, and I think because we've seen so much of it now, we've come quite adept at diagnosing it. And you can get these really classic cases. I mean, you know, guy goes hiking to Scotland and feels awful after going to Scotland. Well, I mean, it's obvious, you know, Scotland's a hotbed for Lyme. Um, you know, we had a pa- another patient recently who enjoyed hiking, had been to 15 or 20 specialists. I mean, as soon as I saw the word hiking in her intake forms, I thought it's got to be Lyme. And as, and, and as we went through it, um, you, know, the, the, you know, the intake forms and we, we discussed everything, it was, it was just patently obvious. Um, but I think the thing that people should be looking out for in terms of symptoms, probably the classic, yeah, the classic two symptoms I'd be looking out for would be migratory muscle pain and migratory joint pain. So muscle pain and joint pain that, that, that moves around the body, that comes and goes. One day can be in one place, another day can be in another place, and it can be somewhere else another day. And then the other symptom is uh, numbness and tingling or nerve pain that moves around the body. Um, those are two classic symptoms. And then obviously fatigue, brain fog, um, visual issues, auditory issues. Uh, there's a million and one symptoms, but those are probably the most, I'd say the most um, classic ones. The symptoms very much, I mean, they're very much in in uh, in, in line with paras- parasitic infection. You know, I mean, it's one of those things that these 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 things can cause. I mean, they're the main ones, but they can cause anything, right? I mean, they they can literally cause any amount of symptoms, um, and then people go and mark and try and treat the symptoms without reaching the un- underlying root cause, um, which unfortunately happens quite a lot. And so, in your in your um, clinic. You mentioned a few things there, but if you just go through it, how how do you test or how do you actually um, detect Lyme? Um, and well, I say I want to go into later on. Um, you mentioned a few of the tests there. So, so if if we could say, for example, tests that you think um, that are on the market that you wouldn't use, tests that you would use, and then how you how you'd go about it yourself. Well, the standard two-tier testing, you know, the NHS would use is, is you know, an ELISA test, an antibody test with what's known as the Western blot. And it's looking for, it's looking for the, um, the Borrelia species to appear on certain bands when analysed under, under, under a microscope. Um, unfortunately, those tests are at best maybe 30% reliable, um, but, you know, probably misses two, you know, maybe three and four or two and three cases of, of Lyme. So what we then tend to do with patients is we tend to use external labs, you know, in, in often in Germany or, or in America. Um, and those labs will be using, um, as I said earlier, lymphocyte transformation testing, uh, which is looking at what's going on on, on a cellular level. Um, there's, there's BCA labs, there's Armin labs, there's, there's Melisa, who did quite a nice one. Um, the the now there's now a new test that's just coming out called the Tickplex, which is a, a multi-peptide ELISA test which measures IgG and IgM for for breathing and a lot of the co-infections. Which again, there's meant to be a study with 2,000 patients, but I keep asking for the study and it hasn't been provided. So I'm not sure how useful that test is going to be. Um, I think the best Western blot test in the world is the one done in um, with with um, Igenix in America. Um, that's a that's a very that's got quite a good accuracy that one. 
Um, again, some people will test positive, won't test positive on, on tests, but they'll test positive, say, on bioresonance. You might be finding some patients who bioresonance. Um, the, um, I think some more testing. The co-infection testing is, for some co-infections, you can test reasonably well, like mycoplasma to a degree, um, the viruses you can test reasonably well for. But unfortunately, Babesia is very, very difficult to test for. Um, you often can run three different tests for Babesia and it can still be negative. So you're best to go on the symptoms of Babesia. Um, it's considered the most common co-infection with Lyme. Um, so, yeah, it can, it can be tricky testing. That's why we tend to work more clinically with patients than to rely on the testing. There's also a test called the CD57 cell count, um, which is a type of um, cell level which tends to be reduced in patients that are suffering with Lyme uh, or, or one of the co-infections called chlamydia pneumoniae. And it's a sign of immune suppression because Lyme suppresses the immune system. So that test can be useful. Um, but as I say, overall, we most clinicians tend to prefer working yeah, clinically rather than relying on testing. So how would you go about that? Well, using questionnaires, taking a very good, taking a very careful case history, and using specific questionnaires. We've we've, we've designed a questionnaire that we use to weedle out co-infections, and also we tend to rely quite a lot on the, on the Richard Horowitz questionnaire. Richard Horowitz is one of the leading um, you know experts in the world on Lyme disease. Okay, so. Basically, as you say, um, put it in a basic term, um, the tests that you've mentioned, Tickplex, uh, Western Block, Bioresonance, Co-Infection, CD57, Cell Cam, they're all, they're all tests that you can get positive um, results from, but because Lyme is so crafty, so tricky, they can actually hide from it, so you might even get negative results, even though you, are, you have actually got Lyme. So the way you go about it is through questionnaires um, and by getting answers, you said Richard Horowitz. This is just making it, trying to make it um, in layman's terms for the listeners here. Richard Horowitz, one of the leading uh, people on Lyme disease, you, you use his questionnaire. So it's basically down to it comes down to symptoms and what they've been feeling, uh, rather than just relying on tests. Because with Lyme, tests can be unreliable. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, they can be unreliable. I mean, I mean, it's it's as I say, the problem with these um with these with these these lymphocyte tests is that you can get patients who are positive on those who don't actually have Lyme being a problem for them. So that's why you have to really marry it up with the, with, you know, with the, with the clinical history. Um, so I think that, 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 that I think is the, is, is the problem. And I don't think, I think, I think it's a very difficult organism to test for. Um, there is DNA and PCR testing you can do, but again, has, has a very low level of reliability, something as low as 5%. Um, so yeah, it's, it, the testing is a problem. And that's why a lot of people do get misdiagnosed mis as well, would you say? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know people that have been to upwards of 20, 30 doctors um, and they haven't got the result until they finally found someone who actually knows. I say the result, haven't got the diagnosis until... Um, I actually want to touch on two things quickly. Um, kinesiology, do you find that be useful at all? Um, I've got no I've got no experience in it. I mean, we've got one member of the team. We've got, we've got one member of the team who does um, does kinesiology. We've got another member of the team who does um, radionics, which is obviously was a pre-runner to bioresonance. We've got another lady that's just joined us who does a bit of bioresonance. So, um, which they're all they're all part of the same family. But I, I have very little experience personally of of, of using kinesiology. Um, I know, but I know some people do get reasonable information through for bioresonance and radionics. Yeah, it's one of the things. I've noticed some people do get 
good, well, it's one of those, if you get good practice now with it, then you can, once again, it's all down to the level of practice now, I think, if they're good at good and what they do, then you can get very good results with it. Um, the other thing I was actually going to mention was one of the reasons that, um, I mean, the difference between someone who's got Lyme disease and someone who's got chronic Lyme disease, we'll go into that in a minute, but one of the reasons um, the medical industry, and that's big in America, over here as well, um, sort of refuses to, to believe that chronic Lyme disease exists, um, basically due to insurance companies don't want to pay out to treat chronic Lyme disease because they take time and they take money to treat, you know. Um, so... I mean, have you noticed that in your practice, people that have just the medical industry just refuses to diagnose it, and also, um, and also the other question I was I was going to put out there was um, the difference between having Lyme and having chronic Lyme disease. And you've seen people that I don't know people that have been professional dancers or sports players, and then now they can't even walk across the room, um, how it affected them so badly. And then you've got other people that you say they might have it or they have got it, but it doesn't affect them. Talk a little bit about that for us. Um, well, you're, well, I mean, you sort of going back on what I said before about you know we've all had exposure to it at some point and it not being a problem. Well, it just 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 because some people have got yeah some people have got it and not had a problem. Um, but do you find as well if someone has got it um, and it doesn't get treated, it can become a chronic issue um, over time, especially if they're if they're uh, not living in the best life but the difference between someone who's got it as you said before it doesn't really doesn't really affect them that much and then you've got people who who I mean what are the worst cases you've seen with people with Lyme disease people who just who can't get out of bed people that can't walk across the room people that just, just can't put one foot in front of the other have you seen anything like that yeah I mean there's quite a few there's quite a lot of people wheelchair bound bed bound um, yeah and once it gets into the brain which people often refer to as neuro neurobrilliosis um you know that's not great um yeah and people are yeah in, in quite quite you know quite a bad state um we so we, of course so quite a lot of the people we see i don't know what percentage but maybe 20 percent of them can't obviously get to the clinic um because of obviously being being homebound or bedbound or what have you um so yeah you can get obviously you know, if i look a snapshot of our line patients everyone i suppose is in a different place you know some people are okay and you know, are doing doing okay and sort of able to get about a little bit and keep keep jobs down. And then some people obviously can't can't be in work at all. So it, it really it's really the severity varies from patient to person to person. Yeah. And with the people that you've seen that are have got it in the brain or are wheelchair bound, for example, have you had um, positive results with getting them out of the wheelchair back into normal life? Yeah, we've had um, we have we have had some good results from some pretty dire cases. I mean, we had a we had a lady last year who, again, was walking with two two walking sticks, and really the family were very very concerned about her, um, and really thought she was on her way out. And yeah, we may, we've really managed to turn her life around now. I mean, within amazingly within two to three weeks. I mean, we did some um, we did some like IV laser IV laser treatment with her, and also a whole series of IVs to try and um, support the body and using high dose vitamin C intravenously and we just t- we completely turned everything around in about two weeks and she was off her walking sticks in two weeks and then we've been progressively working with her um, getting her better and better and she's probably about 70-80% better now um, 
but but mold was an issue with her as well and she had to be able to get her out of her house as well um i think that's the biggest problem facing us at the moment is the um is understanding whether people have lime or mold or both um it's very difficult to differentiate between the two and i and i i'd probably recommend you having a future podcast on the subject of uh, mold and mycotoxins yeah no 100 i've got um i've got uh Doug Kaufman. Okay. Uh, coming on, talk about mold, mold and I mean, we've got got a few different guests coming on about that. I think mold. I mean, mold, bacteria, fungus, parasites. Like, I mean, all of it is just an area that a lot of people don't even. This is coming soon. You say you're living in a house that's that's got loads of mold, and nowadays as well, with people living in flats, um, it could even be some someone's someone's house upstairs or room upstairs has got it and it affects you and then you're also talking about the air quality and, and it goes on everything if you get mold in your house it can be <laughs> you're just talking into the tens of hundreds of thousands of pounds to get rid of it with some people um, and so 100% will be looking into that in your two things you touched on there you talked about the IVF laser treatment if you just talk a little bit about that as well and then why why mold and lime um, do get confused well, okay. So the IV the IV laser treatment is a method using soft lasers um, to improve um, improves the immune system and also can actually treat pathogens and Im- improve the health of the mitochondria. So it's it's different to say uh, infrared sauna. You're actually inject in, you know you're basically putting the laser on the surface of the vein or actually putting it into the IV when they're having an intravenous infusion. And the we've seen quite a number of patients now. You can get quite uh, swift results by using this laser therapy and quite a few clinics in America uh, have adopted this approach um, so we tend to combine that with um, sort of nutrient cocktails or high-dose vitamin C um, using glutathione as well and also more recently using intravenous um, nanoparticles of silver <clears throat> so again a lot of clinics in America are using um, silver IV um, to treat pathogens and um, I think we're the first and only place in the UK offering this at the moment, um, the, the IV Silver. Um, so what was the second question? Well, no, the second question was the link between mold and lime. Why, what is the connection? Why, is, why does that get confused? Um, hmm, best way of answering this. I think the symptoms overlap with mold and lime. Um, the... I'm trying to think of the best way of answering this. It's very difficult to test for both mould and lime in terms of accuracy. That's another problem. Uh, what else? The Again, you know, you can have families living <clears throat> in the same house where there's mould, mycotoxin or biotoxin exposure, and it only affects one person. Again, it still comes back to that person's immune system and their, and, and their genetics as well. I mean, Richie Shoemaker has identified certain gene, <clears throat> certain gene mutations that are um, associated with people having problems with mold toxins. Now, he he's made a big sort of hoo-ha about this, but quite a lot of other experts haven't found the correlation. And again, I I haven't found it so much either in the in the patients that I've seen have done the um, the HLA gene gene testings. So, yeah, I, I think it's I actually believe you know knowing what I know now that mold toxicity is actually a far bigger problem than Lyme. And I think a lot of people that we see that aren't getting better from Lyme have actually got mold toxicity. You treat them for mold and you actually they actually get better. Um, and again, some of the symptoms of mold can actually mimic those of Babesia. So I've had the patients where I was sure they had Babesia 
as a co-infection of Lyme, but it turned out there was mold issues. When, I, when they weren't getting better from a Babesia protocol, I realized then it was mold. And then they got better from a mold protocol. Yeah. Have you noticed that heavy metal toxicity as well? Yeah, I think that, like I said earlier, most most patients with Lyme or any chronic health problem, whether it's cancer or Lyme or any any chronic chronic health issue, will have problems with heavy metals. And it's it's just, often people give that bathtub analogy, don't they? You want to improve the drain, and you want to just you know you want to reduce the dirty water coming into the bath. So just improving that drain, i.e. the detoxification as, as best as you can through all the organs of elimination and, and just getting out the junk, you know, getting out the, 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 the amalgams, getting out the root canals, which harbor a lot of bacteria. There's a laboratory in America now, which is analyzing the, the, the tissue from the root canals and they're finding Borrelia in the root canal tissue. Um, so again, I mean, root canals are really bad news. Um, getting People have got crowns as well. People are getting um, sensitivity to the metals in the crown, specifically nickel and aluminium. It's getting people to change over their crowns or at least testing their, their metal sensitivity with Melisa to see if they've got sensitivity to those metals in the crowns and then having the crowns changed. Um, again, obviously, it's not just what's in, in the teeth. It's what's in the environment like fish or what's in the atmosphere. Um, lead, obviously, is a problem. I mean, the main three are lead, mercury and aluminium. And I think that Dr. Klingart's research has shown that he thinks aluminium is the worst in terms of the amount of exposure that patients patients have. Uh, he's quite a fan of a particular test called the Aligo scan, which measures um, me uh, metal levels or mineral levels in the body using like a dermal a dermal scan of the hand. Um, we're going to be introducing that 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 technique later this year, um, but at the moment we use um, uh, provoked urine toxic metal testing. So we use a provocation agent to look at the levels of certain metals in the urine and then look how high they are and then look to then uh, get those metals out of the body um, via, you know, various chelation techniques and infrared sauna and things like that. So, I mean, it's, if, uh, with mercury and aluminium, etc., it's lucky they don't put that in vaccines, isn't it? Um, well, they are in vaccines. <laughs> exactly, that was my point. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I bet so I missed. I wasn't sure if you were joking or not. There. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, of course I was. Uh, and we we're we're actually putting on a conference next year, a free com a free conference for parents to talk to them about vaccines. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, when it happens, give me the details and I'll put it out to my listeners. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, people, it's like uh, I know what I'll do. I'll put a, a what sort of what can completely destroy my immune system, and I'll stick it in a needle and put it into my into my body. Um, but yeah. I mean, I mean, vaccinations is, is, is you know, is, is a controversial, it's, it's, a big, it's a big topic, but obviously, I mean, mercury, most of mercury now has been removed from the vaccines, most of them. It's still in the flu jab, unfortunately, but the, um, but the uh, MMR now has aluminium rather than mercury, and quite a lot of it, like you say, comes, the aluminium we are exposed to will be obviously in vaccines, in deodorant products, and also, again, another very, very controversial topic, which is highlighted by Dr. Klingart, is obviously chemtrails. I mean chemtrails. Or something. I mean, the, I remember who it was again. I'm talking about how it's going to be the biggest problem in the next 15, 20 years. Uh, people don't understand how bad that is. But once again, people think it's conspiracy. Where um, I think it's been proven. We've even the analysis of the soil, how much that's actually damaging the soil. So it's not good. But all we can do is just water our own grass and try and make ourselves as good yeah. as possible. And, and, and also another problem is the the mix the, the combination of glyphosate with metals. Yeah, um, again, the two the two combined. So people are having real real really struggling with with with, with detoxification and um, and those two combined are, are a real problem. But there's certain things you can use that work quite well to get rid of them. Like like Restore works really well. Mm -hmm. um, 
at a product called Restore. And also using, funny enough, in Terrus Gel, but silica base is very good for getting aluminium out of the body. What was that one? Enteros gel. Enteros. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I um, Enteros gel. I um, interviewed Dr. Stephanie Seneff. I think she's one of the leading. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, about glyphosate and the, and the mercury and how it's uh, and, and and aluminium and everything else around that. Um, so anyone who wants to go back and look at that about the glyphosate, you can look at that episode. It's a she's very 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 uh, <laughs> intelligent when it comes to that. So. Oh, there. Stephanie Senev is, is is a legend. Yeah, she's an absolute she's, legend. She's um, yeah, I mean, I mean, her um her work on um autism and vaccines is brilliant as well. You know, she's her 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 studies have shown that by two thousand and thirty two in America, one in two kids at the current rate would be autistic yeah. if the current rate of vaccination continues, which is pretty pretty shocking. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, and it's mainly boys. I mean, I also had Gardner. I've had Terry Tillard talk about vaccinations. And I've also had. Um, Anyone who wants to look back for the episodes, we've got uh, Dr. Sherry Tempany as well. We had her on all about vaccinations. We'll be going to that. Um, and it's, I haven't even mentioned these things to Oliver, and Oliver knows. So sometimes people think, um, well, this is a, like, not bias, but he's been a health practitioner. You look at these things. But we're not coming from a point of where we want to be controversial for controversial sake. We're just coming from a point of we want everyone to be as healthy as possible uh, and trying to get the best information out there so you guys can can be healthy um, because it just seems more and more people these days have got so many different problems and wherever your genetic as Oliver's mentioned before wherever your genetic weakness is that's where it generally comes across and if you get something like Lyme or a parasite uh, then they can be particularly debilitating um, just quickly on the mould Oliver um, where do you find people generally um, pick up or they're, they're exposed most of mold. Would it be at work? Would it be at home? Or would it be somewhere else? Well, it could be all of the above. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you, the things you want to be not looking for are: have you have you um, ever had any flooding in your house? Any quite any water damage to the place that you're living in? Um, you know, there's a misc. You, you could have a whole wall of black mold, like floor to ceiling, but it may not necessarily contain any mycotoxins or anything that's toxic to you. However, you could have a bit of mold species the size of say a golf ball under your floor like with stachybotrys in it which could be really making you sick so there's a lot of misconceptions about mold and it's a lot of it to do with speciesization so um, yeah a lot of it's to do with speciesization that's the beauty of live yeah yeah, so that, that's, that's the, um, the, the beauty. Uh, with with um, speciesization, obviously, you can then know if that's a particular problem for you. And then, unfortunately, you know, you know, Dr. Shoemaker is obviously the lead, meant to be the leading authority in the world. And, you know, he's done a huge amount of research. And you've got to respect the guy. And, and um, the, but he is sort of his way or the highway. But I do think certain parts of his 12-step uh, program need to be adhered to. So, obviously, the first thing is you need to make sure the environment you're living in doesn't have any mold. Now, if you've got mold around your bathtub, that's generally not a problem, right? But, you know, it might be some, I've had patients where there's been stuff under the floor in the concrete that you can't even see exactly. and you wouldn't even know was a problem. And, um, uh, yeah, it was a problem. And it, well, you wouldn't know, unless you had like a proper, proper survey done with like, infrared scanning and stuff, you wouldn't even know it was there. So 
I think that's a lot of the problem a lot of the time is people don't even know. You could be in a house of absolutely nothing visible whatsoever. The previous owner of the house might have had some water damage. You wouldn't know that. You're then getting sicker as you move into the house. Um, you, I think it was Dr. Shoemaker that coined the term sick building syndrome anyway. Um, so, you know, often when people move somewhere or they change house or um, they feel better out the house, and they start finding that they go into moldy environments and basements and they feel worse. Those are, those are some reasonable signs. Um, sometimes when people eat grains, I haven't found it that often, but sometimes people eat grains and they feel worse to be on grains. Again, there's a lot of mold on grains. Um, again, you know, things like ice pick pain. Um, again, this migratory muscle pain and joint pain can occur with mold. Um, there's a simple test you can do online, a free test. It's thing called the visual contrast test, which you can do, which doesn't well, might cost £10 on Dr. Shoemaker's website. Again, if you're positive on that, then there's a reasonable chance you might be suffering mold issues. But then if you're negative on it, it doesn't mean it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, you can do the biotoxin journey questionnaire online. If you go to a website called the biotoxin journey and you do their questionnaire, which is Richie Shoemaker's clusters. And if you score high on that, and, and you score positive on the, the VCS test online, then I think I would be considering you might have a mold issue. Um, getting your house surveyed by, by Jeff Charlton from Building Forensics. He's the only person in the UK who does the surveys properly. Um, and then considering if you want to do any blood testing or urine testing around it. Um, so it was Jeff Carlton. What was um, I've, I have actually uh, heard of Jeff because I was looking into this in the members listening there, talking to Justin of Extreme Health Radio in America, and they've got um, a guy out there, and he was actually I think he actually did mention Jeff uh, Carlton. Um, do you know Jeff's website for listeners out there? I think it's buildingforensics.co.uk. Okay. Building Forensics. Okay. So I just stop your flow there. You were saying you can get some testing as well done. Yeah, the testing's problematic. Um, so you can do urinary mycotoxin testing through real-time labs, but the problem is if you took, say, 50 of us, 50 people in the street, those people might be positive as well for mycotoxins. Now, mycotoxins are bad news, but it doesn't mean how do we know what's a safe level and what's not? Where do the reference ranges come from? Um, and do we know those mycotoxins are necessarily causing that person a problem because they may not be genetically predisposed to them being a problem? Yeah. So the test is an expensive test. It's about six hundred pounds, but it's um, you know, but, but that, you know, it can be of some use to some people. Um, if you look at the Shoemaker testing, which is measuring a whole list of blood markers, um, we've managed to bring those to the UK. But again, the problem with that is I've had patients who've tested negative on all those blood markers who've still had mold issues. Okay, granted, there is one marker in that test we haven't managed to get the right stability with yet, which is MSH. Um, and I think I've stopped running the test till we can get MSH included in the panel. Um, MSH is a hormone, which is a precursor hormone to melatonin. So a bit of a clinical pearl for patients is that if you do, say, a melatonin profile, an adrenal stress profile, and you've got very low melatonin and you've got very um, you've got mold-type symptoms, you know, you can make the assumption that your MSH is going to be uh, low as well. And then if you have low MSH, it's, not, it's quite a diagnostic sign for, for mold toxicity. So that's that's a bit of a tip if your patients are doing, you know, hormone testing and they've got mold-type symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so, with, with you mentioned there with genetics, would if, if someone is mentioning genetic um, predisposition to some of these things, if people are living... A healthy life once again we go back into it and their terrain's healthy um epigenetics comes into play would you say that they're not going to get these things if they are living a certain way 
Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you know you could have you could have the HLA. Let's say you had a lot of the HLA gene mutations that shoemakers identified, and then you had so basically you got the gene mutation. Then you got the environmental trigger. You move to a house, yeah, that's got quite a lot of um, you know, quite a sick building. Question is, are you are you are you if you're in that twenty five percent as shoemaker says of people, and then you get that exposure, are you going to be okay? I, I I don't I don't know the answer to that question. You know, if you can be as healthy as possible, and who knows, maybe maybe it might still be a problem. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it really depends, you know, patient, you know, person to person. The thing is, those HLA gene mutations that, that shoemakers identified, the test is only available for LabCorp in America, and it's very expensive. It's about £1,500. Um, and as I say, some of the other mold commentators and mycotoxin experts have said they haven't found those, those HLA tests useful. And I've, only, I've seen a few patients who've had them done in America. And again, they've been negative on them, but they still had mold issues. So... Yeah, I mean, he he raves on about these HLA tests, shoemaker, but ugh, I, I'm not I'm not convinced. Mm. It's uh, it seems all a little bit of just some of it just pissing in the wind. Excuse my uh, if my French is in like you just literally um, just there's so many different tests um, and with all of them you're not guaranteed to get a positive result whether you've got the issue. So. I think going back to what you said before, I mean, you mentioned it before as well, but it's, it's serious with, with Lyme, etc., uh, and, and mold. It can get so bad for people that some of them can't work. Some of them have even been known to to commit suicide. You know, it gets so bad for people. So the things that people need to do, if they, for example, say you couldn't afford any tests, or you can have, only have a certain amount of tests. What can people do to stop themselves being affected? I mean, obviously, if they haven't got a genetic mutation, they're not predisposed to it. But when it comes to Lyme, when it comes to mold, when it comes to all these things, what are the basic things people can do to, to yeah. reduce their possibility of getting these things? I, I think you just go back to basics. You know, you eat an organic diet. Um, you eat a reasonably high, if you can tolerate it, a high vegetable you know, intake. If you, because because also you know we haven't got a rumen like cows. I, I don't think we've evolved to eat tons of vegetable matter. So I think if, if a lot of people struggle with high vegetable diets, then obviously you can do it in the form of juices and smoothies, like green juices and smoothies, which are much more easily assimilated into the body. If you're someone who can eat you know kale salads every day, then you know then then great. Um, but I think getting quite a high phytonutrient that you know and eating a quite a lot of foods that are um, you know, good for the liver, like bitter foods, things like watercress, you know, rockets, lots of them, um, and trying to mix your phytonutrients like lemon zest, lemon, lemon juice, and turmeric. Um, and then, obviously, you know, good quality, if you, if you tolerate things like good quality eggs, grass-fed meat, low mercury fish, um, I think, so eating a very good diet, I think, is is the foundations, along with, obviously, with water, um, and ensuring, ideally, you know, you've got a a water supply that's, um, you know, treated, say, with reverse osmosis and then remineralized and, say, deionized. And there's lots of different systems on the market. Um, again, living living somewhere um, where you're where you're actually getting decent amounts of sleep. So, again, I think the body often is better when you've got quite a dark room at night. Um, and then, so again, something you get very good quality sleep. I know you can get these things now like Fitbits and stuff that, you know, if you turn the Bluetooth off, I suppose you can still measure what sort of quality of sleep you're getting. So people, some people like to do that. Um, again, stress, you know, having to, doing things that are um, that you feel that make you happy. So 
trying to be in, in relationships and jobs where you feel part of a community and you know not activating the stress response regularly only using it in emergencies so, so things like you know things like that um having enough you know free time and, and time to spend doing the things you really enjoy um and you know li- and live a fulfilling life um having time you know for, for meditation getting the body in that rest and digest phase um so all, all the all the real basics really um you know, can 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 be your sort of insurance policy. I also think, and I also think as well that every home now should have, because of the amount of exposure we have to toxins, I think every home now should have something like one of like the mat-based infrared saunas from Get Fit. Um, again, they're very easy to keep at home. You can go under the bed, you can fold them up, and you know, use that three, four times a week. Maybe just lie on it for twenty or thirty minutes at each time. And again, that's just a nice insurance policy. Yeah, I think it's basically just living in a way that's conducive to building it. So I always say to my clients, um, you probably say medical industry looks at fighting disease, um, whereas we look at regenerating health and a healthy body generally doesn't get these problems, you know. So everything you mentioned there, it's, it's getting your diet right. As you said there before, I always said this, this to people as well, you mentioned something very, very important, which is doing things in your free time, doing things you love. You say to people sometimes, what do you enjoy doing? And they're like, well, I don't know. What do you love? Well, I don't know that's so important or even their job you can be eating the best food um, you can be taking all the supplements in the world but if you hate your job that's a very acidic place to be it's a very negative place to be and it can really affect your health so that's, that's huge what you said there not just the food not so as you say uh, diet the time for introspection happiness detoxifying your body um, whether it be for saunas or through things like lemons and dandelion or whatever it is um, and having time for introspection happiness and doing the things you love I mean it's a it's a part of the holistic approach really yeah I mean look it's easier said than done the job thing I think that I used to be in a job that I didn't really I didn't really like it was very well paid I didn't have to do very much work but I didn't really enjoy it you know having gone into the health industry you know it's you know it, it, it's it's um, I mean, something that's very rewarding. I work, work incredibly hard, very long hours, uh, less pain than I was back in the day for the other work I used to do. But it, it, it's far more rewarding and, you know, helping others. And actually being in a, in a, in a job where you're serving people, I think is, there's, there's a lot of value to that. And I think I would always encourage people to try and get into a job that they actually really enjoy and that they're passionate about. Because if you get up in the morning and you, and you, you love what you do, um, you know, you're, you know, you're half the way there in life. Yeah. Um, there, there's some great books out there. I mean, there's a really good book I like, which which your readership might, you know, listeners might like. Which is um, uh, there's a, there's a nice stationery company, like an inspirational stationery company called Kiki, um, and they make some amazing, like amazing, like you know, like diaries and books and like posters and pads and things. But they on their website you can get a book called The Life Plan, and that's a really cool book to work through, and that can be really sort of inspiring for a lot of people to try and um, you know find better ways to live their life um or even people getting a routine in the morning you know to start their day like something like the morning miracle by Hal Elrod that's quite a nice one Homework, um, yeah there's a few yeah, there's lots of different books in there I actually talk about something we talk about um have you heard of Paul Check? you might know Paul Check. yeah yeah Paul Check. always I mean you talk about this in terms of if, what I do with my clients the first thing I always do with my clients when we're going through sort of systemic issues is we give them recon exercises to go away, and they talk. He talk Paul Check always talks about getting out of your nightmare and start moving towards your dream, and it's something that I feel really, really big. Like, unless the mind starts to understand where it wants to go, the body won't follow. So, mm-hmm. and when people's crisis is bigger than their dream, then they're always going to live there. But when you start building them towards where they want to be and giving them a route to get there, then that's 
that's half of the battle as well. So it's because otherwise it, it just becomes like people, as you or you might know, some people like to not everyone, but some people have an issue, and that becomes the reason why they can't do anything. Um, or I've got this, or I've got that. Um, and so getting them out of that and moving them towards where they want to be is a huge part of health, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, well, I know you're very busy, Oliver. It's been a really awesome. We actually got some really good uh, stuff covered there. I mean, we got <laughs> everything, lime mold, detoxification, went into absolutely everything. great knowledge there you've given us for the tests that you'd, you recommend different people. Uh, and I'm going to try and get Dr. Schumacher on the show. Uh, I think that'll be a, a good uh, episode. Um, so thanks very much for that, Oliver. Um, no problem. If people want to contact you, I mean, I've already mentioned, but where's the best place to contact you? And get yeah, if, if you go onto our website, www.londoncliniconutrition.co.uk, we've got a really nice blog on there. Um, you know, loads of useful information. People just search in the search bar if they want info or anything in particular. Um and yeah, I'll just ring the number on the website if they want. Awesome. Any, uh, probably try and get you back on another time. What, what, what if you if you could say something else that you deal a lot with? You know, Lyme's a big one, but anything else that's pretty pretty big in your clinic that you deal with? Well, we do a lot of Hashimoto's, a lot of Hashimoto's, a lot of, you know, a lot of autoimmune disease. Um, maybe, uh, yeah. Maybe big pub. Yeah. Maybe we can get you back on sometime to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 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 All right, Oliver, thank you very much, and uh, yep. have a good day. And uh, when, it, when it's all up and ready, I'll let you know. All right, brilliant. Cheers, Oliver. Bye-bye. Thanks. Cheers. So, guys, there it is, episode 20 with Oliver Barnett, all about Lyme disease. We, as I said before, talk, touched on mould and also what you need to do to keep yourself healthy and hopefully bulletproof yourself from these diseases. So... I know you've got a ton of information um, out of that and I know we did actually go through quite a few different tests, um, we mentioned quite a few different people, so if you wanted any of that information I am going to put, um, well you can always email me at ryan at reviveyourself.co and I'll send it to you or um, I can actually put some of it in the show notes, I'll try and get as much of it in the show notes as possible. Um, but probably the best thing to do, because there's so much of it actually, because you mentioned so many different tests here, you wouldn't know what, what's best. The best thing to do um, would be if you emailed me, then I can uh, send you an email back. Alternatively, you can just email Oliver at um, his website, which he mentioned, uh, London uh, Clinic of Nutrition. So we covered a lot there, guys. I only got a lot out of it. Um, as I said before, any questions you've got around it, you can always send them to me. Um, and also, if you've been dealing with any health issues and you need help, then don't be afraid to reach out um, at ryan at reviveyourself.co. And also, if you want to jump on our free four-day um, gut revival mini course, and if you've got any health issues, it will help because it will teach you exactly why gut health is so important. It's the root of all disease and how it can help you. And it really gets you to understand what you need to do to get yourself better. So... Anyway, that's it for this week, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, I said before, if you want to leave reviews for us at iTunes, that'll be hugely beneficial for us. And share it to anyone you know who may, um, well, who will benefit from this, who you know has got Lyme disease um, or any symptoms of it, because it is a crafty, crafty disease. So, anyway, guys, as always, I'll speak to you next week. Stay happy, stay healthy, And if it's sunny where you are, go and enjoy some sun and go and enjoy yourself and do something you love. Okay, guys, speak to you soon. Keep well. 
If you're struggling with gut issues, such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of The Healing Health Paradigm today. 